Formula One, Max Verstappen's car stalls out once again. Uh, so glad I didn't stay up to watch. <laughs> Max Verstappen or Max Verstappen? Because mm. he ain't going. Tune in. He be stopping. He do be stopping, though. He do be OB topping, though. <laughs> That's all we're saying as Knicks fans on this Knicks pod. <laughs> stopping because he do be stopping i haven't seen that tweet yet that's all i'm saying Mm -hmm. could be made could be the footy on the gas pedal fellas christian horner might uh set out a bounty if we if we tweet that what if we take a math angle and become formulaically one okay yep nice instead of formula one done done so the math behind it so it's like a math uh content podcast yeah it's mostly math. We mostly teach geometry, trigonometry, basic algebra, but we just are fans of Formula One, so we call call ourselves formulaically one. I think that'd be really cool if you were if like we would maybe one of us is like a PhD in mathematics, <laughs> another is a um, rocket engineer, okay, and the third is the third has a car. The third has a car. Yeah, yeah. a Prius probably. Yeah, so that, that's like the Formula One element. That's cool. Which one of those guys would you represent, Icy? Look, I just am going to take one for the team, and I'll get the car. I'll get the car for the team. You guys can can dedicate 10 years of your life to get you those PhDs. <laughs> yeah, the car's the toughest. You really got to really gotta take one for the team getting a Prius, <laughs> you know? Or even any sort of electrical energy car. I know that society has been – companies, I should say, have been really pushing that on society – and it's embarrassing. It's a bad look for companies to say, oh, we're going to go fully hybrid. We're going to go fully electric. We're not going to use gas anymore. They're, they're, they're making themselves look stupid. What I've learned, what I've learned from the corporate world yeah. um, uh, is there's been a lot of talk about going hybrid, you know, going back, we go back to the office full time, part time. It's kind of like an in between. And it's just controversial. It really is. I don't think people are really happy with it. And so you have to pick a lane. You really do need to pick a lane. <laughs> Um, have you have you suggested to your managers to go electric instead of hybrid? And they're like, what do you mean? I thought it's either in the office or we're not. So I'm a big coal. I'm a big coal kind of guy. So I was pushing for just coal <laughs> or steam powered. Again, you know, blank stares. I, I don't think I think I'm ahead of my time uh, in the office. But he's know. actually passed his time. He got fired because he said we need to go electric. They said, what do you mean? And he said, Ah, and he started powering up like he was from <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh. And he Goku, was like, this is going electric. And this is why right now we're losing money because yep. y'all aren't on my level. Exactly. And I they, went, they fired. I went Super Saiyan. That was, that's what they <laughs> yeah. wrote in, in my, and in, in they kicked me out. Yeah. And they said, well, we're Super Saiyan. You're fucking fired. <laughs> like, hella fired. You know how awkward it was? I was like fully, we call it, and so some people call it Super Saiyan. I call it fully torqued. So I'm fully torqued standing there. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and security has to walk me out and i'm literally like on fire i'm on fire walking through the building and everyone's like looking at me like whoa that guy is he's amped like that dude went electric yeah the rest of us look dumb trying to go hybrid like right. that guy gets it right 
and yet I had to get ex- uh, uh, you know escorted out of the building twice because I forgot I forgot my uh, forgot my lanyard back at my desk, and it lan- the lanyards where I have my venture my you know CTA card, so I had to go back to get it to get on the bus. It was a hell of a Wednesday. <laughs> anyway, so formulaically one, do we change the name or? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm here for it. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that whole thing was Max saying yes, but I see as long as you're in, if you're willing to get the car, I feel like we have the, the assets necessary. All right, done deal. Well, on that note, if you made it through the intro, we do talk a little bit of soccer. And today we are going to focus on City Liverpool, the big heavyweight matchup this morning. Might talk a little bit about U.S. national teams, men's and women's, what's going on in their world, and maybe sneak a little MLS in the end. We're the footy fellas, and we, we sort of do it all. That's kind of our thing. Pokemon. Gotta, we do it all. It's so true. Yeah. Our friendship will pull us through. I need me. No, oh, sorry. We and soccer needs you, Liverpool. <laughs> Versus City. What a game. Nice. What a game. Uh, 2-2, for those who didn't see it. I thought... Art maybe game of the season so far. It was just everything that you needed in a Premier League game. A lot of action, lots of back and forth. There were goals. One thing that I, I did take note of at the very end was a lot of camaraderie, which was super good and nice to see. You know, Virgil van Dyke tackles De Bruyne kind of hard, foul at the end, and um, you know, they shake hands afterwards. It's just it was a soccer foul and they got it. They understood. Uh thank goodness Mars then hit the post and didn't didn't score a goal. Off that free kick, but um, no, it was it was a great game. Unfortunate for the pool fans to not get a result. And uh, yeah, these last seven games are going to be tough. I have to say, I'm a bit surprised, I see, and I was somewhat joking, somewhat serious, saying to to Jones at the end of the game, I'm going to go off on the pod at how friendly they were after the game. I feel like you, given our last two years of banter in the pod, would have been frustrated that they were so chummy after the game. I didn't see any post game, I guess, handshakes and all that stuff. I just kind of turned it off after the whistle blew because I was semi salty, but uh, whatever. It was a good game. Um, no, I didn't. I didn't mind them, you know, shaking hands. It, all the fouls were tough, um, but they weren't egregious. Tiago maybe asterisks. There were some crazy fouls that he was throwing around, but um, no, it was good overall. Good soccer. I thought I did think City played better overall. I think they played their game more than Liverpool played their game. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they're just both very, very good teams. And maybe that's fair, and maybe it's because the rivalry isn't as storied. It's not as old. You don't have some of that deep-seated anger that you have between the Yankees-Red Sox, the Manchester-Liverpool, the... Vikings-Packers. Vikings-Packers, thank you. These storied rivalries, because City is only so newly incredible... You don't have some of the same same back and forth. There's a lot of discourse in the Twitter sphere this past week or so as there was a lot of hype for this game. And it was um, coming from commentators. I, I think I think it was probably stemming from the you know the players who played in the Prem circa two thousand four and five and a little bit prior to that, when you had Arsenal versus United for like four years which was a brutally like savage rivalry. Both teams were top of the table, so it was always a, a good football match, but they had some type of um, you know, uh, 
actual animosity towards one another. You had fights, you had coaches going at one another. This is, it's, it's an exciting game. We get to watch two teams really at the peak of their play and some of the best that the premier league has ever had. But at the end of the game, when you have, you know, Pep throwing a big hug over to Klopp, it's nice. Like it's, it's, it's nice to see that it's good. It's wholesome. And it encourages, you know, you know, a love for the sport and not just some kind of base instinct for blood and, and gluttony, all that stuff. But it does take away from that edge that really does take that game to another level. It's why when you look at all time, you know, period rivalries or period, just good games, you could say Liverpool and city for the past four years, probably has been a hallmark, you know, probably best game in the prem. You could book it. It's going to be that good, but it just isn't going to match the, uh, Barcelona, Real Madrid of like 2010 to 2013, where you have Messi and Ronaldo, both Barca and Real at their peaks, and they hate each other. And so every game is so intense because they're both top quality and someone's going to get a red card and the coaches hate each other and the fans are going nuts. The The one tweet that I saw out there that I was like, uh, like fair, is the, the beauty of it is you have City and Liverpool are incredible right now they have all the skill in the world they're playing it's impressive it's great to watch but it's also sad because both teams wish that their opponent were united and that they wish they were playing a team that they could actually really hate because otherwise they respect the other team and they're gonna go out there and play well but if it was like united in that game they would be stomping on them they would be hating on them it would be just much more of this like it it probably wouldn't be as pretty it really wouldn't be um, and I'm not pulling United in it just because I'm a United fan. It's just generally like you want the teams that you need a villain in there. And right now, neither of those teams are really villains. Both of those teams are playing good soccer. No, that's a good point. I was going to say, uh, and then you brought up Barcelona, Real Madrid, which was a, an excellent rivalry that, you know, it's nice that they're not killing each other because every, you know, how many soccer games do these guys play throughout the whole season? They've got massive champions league games coming up next week it's like if you injured De Bruyne break a leg or something it's like that's terrible for City it really puts them in, in, a, in a bind so I'm happy there wasn't much blood and gore and, and broken bones or anything like that I think that's good but it was it was still physical I mean you could you could um just because there wasn't all the the nasty stuff um it wasn't it, not that it wasn't physical so um yeah I thought it was overall good it was tempered the ref I mean, we got to shout out the ref he did a great job there's some moments when he, you know, maybe should have given yellow and Tiago probably should have gotten a red. Let's be fair. But he was consistently saying, if Tiago's not getting a yellow, De Bruyne, you're not getting a yellow for this. And then he was great. Let's talk about the game itself for a couple more minutes. Liverpool goes down 1-0, I see. Were you worried? I felt confident in these games, uh, City-Liverpool, it's always it's one of the teams seems to score kind of early. Um, and then it's like, no side is going to be like, okay, this is trouble. You kind of, you're like, okay, that's bound to happen. It, we're just going to see where it goes from there. Um, now, the first half, though, was a bit nerve-wracking for me. Liverpool was on the back foot, and the defense was playing terribly. Trent Alexander-Arnold started off terribly. I think he, every time he got the ball, he turned it over. He was like, I counted eight in a row or something. It was insane. Um, but no, once, once City scored, I was like, okay, maybe that's a wake-up call. And then... Liverpool found a way to get Jota the ball and, and score. And then, you know, lack of uh, concentration for that second goal from City right before half. So, hate to see that, but 
it was a good, I mean, great play from Kinsella to even see the run. I'm looking at it and I'm like, how does he even see this? And I'm looking from a bird's eye view. Like, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to see. So it is funny commenting on balls that should have been played when you're watching on TV versus like they have a defender right in front of them. It's cross field. They've got someone on their back. This is their first touch. They're turning away from pressure. We expect them to see the wide open run every time. Right. It's kind of funny. I don't want to give Jones and I complete credit for Liverpool's comeback, but <laughs> right after City scored, I said. It looks like they might just get out class today. And I wrote these down after Liverpool came back because I figured they would they would prove the reverse jinx. I said, it looks like they might get out class today. And Jones said, yeah, they just don't look up for it. But that really woke them up, like you said. And they, they came back and the momentum kind of shifted because City, they went up before half and they sort of owned the game the entire first half. And then beginning of the second half for the first 20, 30 minutes, they just couldn't do anything anymore. Like Liverpool took it over. It was uh, it was definitely, it seemed like the, the field was sloped to the right. It definitely <laughs> seemed like there was something going on. If you were going that way, you had a little bit more um, of an advantage. I think it was key for Liverpool to get that goal in the first, what, 50 seconds of the second half. If they don't get that, and if they don't score for the next 10 minutes or so, you could argue City maybe starts to just hold it a little bit more, wear them out, and, and pull away. So that was critical. Um, the, it, it, I think there were a couple goals. There were a couple opportunities that were called for offside, um, that, you know, could have very well flipped the game on its head. Ultimately, both teams just seemed by like the 75th minute, like they had run their race. And and I thought there was a, and, and it was still very dangerous, but there was a, there was a comment by one of, um, uh, one of the commentators saying, you know, these two teams, they play, they're heavyweights, they're they're slugging it out, they're trying to go for each other's throats, and then after a while, after they put so much into it, they almost don't want to let go. They don't want to be the team that actually like foregoes all of the effort they put into it. And so when you hit this later part of the game, yes, it's slowed down, but to what extent is that like intentional? To what extent are they exhausted and, and just need to recuperate versus, okay, like, hey, now let's just do some precise um, actions to try to, you know topple topple the other team feels like it's a a big result for city to get the tie just still maintaining their reach um over over uh liverpool but also credit to liverpool for going away from home and pulling getting you know pulling a point away and and, and making it um still a close race where you know one week could really change the the table very quickly a quick comment to what you were saying, Jones, at the end. Yeah, definitely slowed down. Pace got a little lax, um, which I noticed. And I thought, you know, when Luis Diaz came in for Jota, that I thought that they should pressure Kyle Walker. I know it's weird to say he's, he's a very good defender and he's speedy and all that stuff, but he was making mistakes. I think he kind of led to that early goal in the second half, just kind of um, maybe it was a bit too lax when it came to Mane cutting across in front of him to, to score that goal. So I thought... Fresh legs, Luis Diaz, he's a fast guy. Why don't we send him uh, more down the line, put Walker on his back foot? Um, yeah, I think there were a lot of decisions by Liverpool to hit this long ball that then the City defenders just ate up. They just got these headers, and it's like, what are we doing? That's not working. We keep doing this. There were moments when Mane would bring it down, you know, good, but he'd get clobbered when he took that second touch off his thigh. It's... Um, I thought there were tactical things that they could have done better um, throughout the game. 
Liverpool's game plan was so aggressive, which is especially bold on the road against Man City. They were playing such a high line against City who loves to possess, and that seems to be what they prefer. They want to lure you in. They're going to play it back to Ederson just because, just to have fun and kick it around and keep it. Like Their first option sometimes felt like Ederson, even when they could go forward a little bit because they want to lure you in, and then they were looking to play those long balls on Poole's uh, defensive line, which was pressed so high. But it, it worked. They coughed it up sometimes. City, in those 20, 30 minutes at the beginning of the second half, they just couldn't do anything. They couldn't even get bring the ball into Liverpool's half. So, yes, they kept it for a little bit, but then they'd cough it up trying to work it forward. So it seemed like it worked sometimes. It didn't other times. That's the game of footy. But um, it could have led to one or two chances that Liverpool just couldn't make the final ball or couldn't finish. And same could be said for City. So definitely it seems like a fair result. 2-2, both teams had a lot of chances. Both teams were pressing and, and sort of going for it, at least in the first 75 minutes. I will say it was also, I don't remember how many times, I think it's just once, but uh, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, Mares missed a PK at the end of the game against Liverpool uh, for them to settle with a tie, I think. And then again, we end with Mares on the doorstep. I mean, we've all hit that chip from the top of the 18. Like, that's a pretty basic shot. And the fact that he didn't he didn't nail that one, it's like, oh, Mares doesn't finish. That's why you're on the bench. Exactly. That's why uh, I see we were just playing this game. We were counting how much the bench costs. Like if you wanted to live in the city bench or you want to live in our apartment, it would cost so much more to live on that city bench, like a lot, a lot more money. But you guys are cozy. paying. I mean, your rent is what, two million a month. So. Yeah, we didn't exactly. calculate up the monthly. Right. No, uh, we were just looking utilities. Yeah. So this this is an exercise that would have been good for formulaically one. Right. But now people don't want to listen no, to math. That's not what like, we, no one wants to listen to us do write this. They're out. expecting foot stuff. Yeah. yeah. We should talk more about feet. I was gonna say. That's been our biggest miss. One final question for Pool City that I, I Jones and I broached and we didn't really get into. So I want to hear your take, I see. How much of a player like Trent, a player like Mars is unfair because he did it on uh, did it on Leicester. Trent or even Robertson, I guess the outside backs are probably good examples. How much of their success is because of their individual play and how much of their success currently on Liverpool is just because the team around them is good? I know, I know this question came up probably from Jones because he always rips on Trent Alexander for being okay. No, it was me this time. It was me because it was Trent. Trent made some defensive errors, like you said. Yeah. And then he played this incredible 40-yard ball, this curler right into, I think, Mane's path. I was like, man, (laughs) what would he be like? Would he have to change his play style so much on a Brentford? No, I mean, it's a good question. But I have to say that they are truly, genuinely top class, like top-tier players in the league. I wouldn't say there are clubs that you know wouldn't want them on their team, but I think that even if they're on a Brentford, just talking about Trent or, or Robertson, that you know maybe they might not have the best, as good of stats as they do on Liverpool, because when you cross the ball and you've got these attacking players that are unreal and just you know, uh, you know, so so good top of their game but they they work hard and they they make it they create dangerous situations so i think that yeah stats wise probably not as good on a on another team but they are very 
good players. So I guess what am I saying? I'm saying that they will be impactful on any team they're on for the better. Like they're going to make a difference in the positive direction. And the team will adjust, right, some of how they do things to fit these players in, right? So it's not just, you know, you don't just throw a player in and uh, you, the manager and the team allows this broken piece to kind of be inside the team um, on, on the on the pitch, you know, in the formation, but things are going to be built around everyone to be to be successful. So it's a long answer, but they'd be good on any team. You should watch United play sometime. It's really interesting. They like to they specialize in taking uh, pieces that are like like that you know that just are maybe three dimensional, and the game that they're playing is two dimensional. Or it doesn't matter what the paradigm is here. Like United players do not fit. So um, I don't know. Exception to the rule, right? Because United's unstoppable. Um, I think the the also the the initial question we were kind of kicking around was is John Stones like yes, is he John Stones. is he a City versus Liverpool like is he a top tier like he is he would he really be a starting in a game of this magnitude in you know Spain or it doesn't matter just like any other big big game um, and uh, and to your point I see I agree I think it's a matter of yes how good is this player is this player like really like a top twenty player in the world kind of thing you know, maybe more or less, but can a player who's top 60 in a world who's playing in a system that fits them well, look like a player who's in the top 20. And, and that's kind of what makes sense. Um, so, you know, would stones look be as impactful on another team? Maybe not, but if the system was similar to cities, maybe he would, you know, maybe it was a similar, I don't know who else has a similar style, but some other similar system, he could, he could look pretty, pretty competent, but it's, it's also like, it's also like I think defenders versus midfielders versus forwards all look different in different situations. So like what makes them good can vary, you know, massively. Yeah. Okay, just very quickly, the Tammy Abraham coming off the Chelsea bench, goes to Roma. He's the top scorer in the league. He's got 23 goals. He looks unreal. So, you know, a t- maybe top 60 player in the Prem. He's looking like a top 10 in Roma, which is cool. We, we talked about how some of these bench players you know, these guys are superstars on these benches. They could go yeah. somewhere else and be legends. Um, so, the position angle is interesting. It can a forward have is the impact of a striker most consistent and similar, regardless of where they go, because they're just finishers. But for an outside back, do you need a strong center back who can communicate? Do you need a coach who comes in with a good game plan like Klopp, where the whole back line, Liverpool's back line, was so they almost got cut out a couple times, but didn't fully because their back line was so uniform in their movement and like so cohesive. So regardless of how good of a player he is, he just looks great because the whole line moves so well together. Whereas and, maybe a striker can just do their own thing. And if we looked at if we looked at the Liverpool team, for example, Van Dyke coming to Liverpool, I don't think people were thinking, oh, he's worth seventy five million dollars coming from Southampton and Celtic, wherever he had been before. Like he was a solid player, but um it, you know, it helped to have the the team around him and the system around him and all that stuff to really prove, oh, he's he's pretty legit. So, system is just as important as the uh, as the player. Well, all that being said, we were treated to a gem of a game, like you kicked us off with icy. So that was a joy to watch on this somewhat sunny Sunday here in Chicago. I don't know how the weather is at in Minnesota. Yep. Sunny, sunny as well. Sunny, love it. Let's talk about something else that's looking a little bright. It's got a, a bright future ahead of it, and that's the U.S. men's national team. They made the World Cup. 
It's not something Ooh. we could have said four years ago. She! 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 Can I get a she in the chat? Just a she in the chat. I got you. She. she. Well, thank you for typing that up. In the chat. Sure thing. I'm already getting excited to watch some of their games maybe in the park. If there's a projector up, if there's a citywide showing, just get together with people and just watching the World Cup and rooting for your country is so exciting. In the middle of November. Yeah. It's in November. Oh, I thought it was in August. I know. I know. I had to. Because you brought that up. I was like, oh, cool. Millennium Park. Let's do it. And I was like, wait, the big game against England is after Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's brutal. Anyway, back right. to no, no, no you, you were in a really good place. Topic. You were in a good. Let's go to the next topic. I'm done with this now. It was just it was mostly about being outside. It was less about the, the game. We can watch games in the park this summer, though. We could put on like 20... winter jackets. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> they they, what's the best way to put it? They stumbled and and trundled their way trundled. into a into a berth right at the end there. But they played solid enough throughout the the octagon to deserve that berth i think you could argue them canada was obviously the strongest team throughout and them and mexico just did enough and they did enough especially in that stretch they started off weak throughout the middle like eight nine games they won four or five of them they drew some others they were tough to play at home very tough to play i don't think they lost a game at home and they got it done this this younger generation of u.s stars who now everyone's getting pretty excited to to watch the world cup come november it was a, I think the C, I, I would like to look at, which we, if we were more prepared, probably we'd look at each game and like maybe we put a rating for how that team performance was and you could watch like a trajectory. Cause I do, it does feel like the, the team got better. It does feel like the team found an identity to an extent. It knew who the players were. I think it, you kind of figured out who was going to play where. I think we were hyped about the prospect of Adams McKinney and Musa kind of playing that center three role and then letting Pulisic and uh, I don't know, that's the thing, like Reyna, if he's not hurt, we'll talk on a sec, or Wea or Pepe or Ferreira. Um, did we bring back Clint Dempsey? Maybe, think about it. And they were, <laughs> like you just had, and then and then you had Walker Zimmermans of the world who suddenly started taking the stage and Robinson next to him. And then you have Robinson over there. And then you got Des looking like a stud. It just seemed like there was an identity, a literal and, and figurative one. And um, and that was really um, encouraging to see. And I'm, I'm pretty excited for for that team to play some more games this summer. Yeah, um, I'm I'm stoked that you guys know the team a little bit better than I do. So I got to make got to make up some ground there. But they've been fun when we when we've watched. I've been critical. I've been tough on them. I know I've been uh, hypercritical maybe about the manager. But, you know, I think it's I think it's still noteworthy and important to be critical i think i think what at a bare minimum we want to advance out of the group our group is not easy we have england iran and uh soon to be determined team from a euro playoff I'm not even sure who's even in the mix there but you know it's not gonna be easy anytime you're in the world cup it's kind of crazy drama and and pressure so yeah i'm hoping the young guys can can come out compete play hard stay healthy it's gonna be huge um but yeah, finally we made it. We got to we got to keep making these World Cups. And, you know, missing missing one is just that's not even on the that can't happen. Can't happen. It's what makes it so special. And when they talk about oh, let's do the World Cup every two years, let's do this, and all the players and most of the fans, at least people we know, think it's a horrible idea because it means something. And you hear about these countries that haven't made it for thirty years, and it's your first World Cup birth. Some of the African nations that have made it this year, or even for the U.S. and a much 
smaller time frame. It's been seven years or, or maybe it'll have been eight, eight years, I guess, by the time we've seen a World Cup. And I remember watching with my friends in high school when I was a senior in high school and we got together to watch them play in the World Cup the last time. And it's it kind of marks periods in your life. If you're a big soccer fan and you follow the national team, it marks periods in your life when you can remember what happened in that World Cup and your emotions and who you were with and how it went down. So the fact that it's been eight years makes it feel extra special. 100%. Even more, even more meaningful. Uh, it is funny how everyone is associated with you. I, I know where I was for portions of it during the past, you know, several. Um, and, uh, and I think, I think it's just, it's so important that the U S um, really cements the standard of we, we have to make every world cup. And if we miss a world cup, that's unacceptable. Look at Italy. Look how a nation who lives and breathes soccer is feeling after back to back misses in the World Cup. You know, which is crazy. Two back to back World Cup misses for Italy, brutal. And after winning Euros, and I'm curious how often that's happened that you can win Euros and then immediately miss the next World Cup. It's one thing to not like you look at Spain in 20, my eyes rolling back, 2010, when they had won the Euros in 2008 and then 2012. And in between that, won the World Cup. It's like, could you imagine that team? I guess that team was super dominant. Never mind. Point is, crazy, tough to be Italian, great to be American. USA. Suck it. <laughs> so that's my point. <laughs> so that's my thesis. Yeah, super excited. We'll do more, more World Cup previews, chat about the World Cup, look at the groups, perhaps even in person in Chicago. Who knows? Who knows? We're getting excited about that. Yeah. Um, yep. But for now, proud of the team that they made it. A lot of fair criticism throughout Burhalter. They made it through. He's made some tough roster decisions. And hopefully Reyna, who's now injured for a while, is back healthy. Hopefully Pulisic is in good form. And it'll matter what players are playing for their clubs at the start of next season because it's in November. You'll have a, se- a month or two of actual league play for guys to get into shape and, and be ready for the World Cup. Hell yeah. So that'll be big. The women's national team, their World Cup is still a year away, but they know how to dominate. This isn't a first. We haven't missed them winning because they've done it pretty much every year now, as far as I can remember, every World Cup. And they just had a friendly against Uzbekistan where they won nine to one. So they're they're not they're not taking days off. They are bringing new players into the mix, too, which is cool to see. We've got Sophia Smith who's a youngster on the Portland Thorns. I think she's 20 or 21, and she scored a hat-trick against Uzbekistan. So you're starting to see a new wave of players now that Wambach's officially retired. Rapino still playing, still doing it in the NWSL, but might not be a fixture at next year's World Cup at the very most, would probably come off the bench. So it's this new generation now of young female ballers in the U.S., and they're continuing to set a high standard. Yep. Uh I think uh, I think the Chicago Red Stars could potentially um, could potentially make a, a move for the World Cup. We'll see. We'll see. I think they just need some. It, it's just like branding stuff. That's honestly it. They have the talent there. Um, legitimately, though, uh, I, I think talk about standards with the U.S. men's. I think there was some funny tweet that was like Carly Lloyd hit it on the nail when, you know, she was saying, yeah, it was like the tone of her voice or something reflecting on, yeah, super excited for the U.S. men's national team dot 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 to have qualified or, you know, something like just <laughs> tongue in cheek. That was just so That's great. 
uh, apt and, and captures the the massive gulf between the the two teams. But um, yeah, I mean, expectations. Mm-hmm. They, if they don't leave with the trophy, it's you know a huge failure. So kudos to them for killing it nonstop. Shows highlights the the difference, the gap right now between the two teams for the the men to aspire to, look up to. Yep. Matter of fact. We promised we'd sneak in a little MLS, and that's exactly what we're going to do now for these last two or three minutes. Icy, regale us with a little a little bit about your first Minnesota game of the year. Yeah, so I went to the game on April 2nd, MNUFC versus Seattle Sounders. And boy, oh boy, we hate each other. Um, and Sounders are just good. It's because they're good, and but we can beat them. But we actually played pretty poorly. <laughs> we were pretty disappointed. Our seats are nuts, though. They're very, very cool. We were yelling at um, Defender Row on their team, who was just right on the touchline by us. So that was fun. But no, Sounders just played super well in terms of their defensive shape. They had a very Liverpool, Man City esque kind of um, high line to the defense, and they just kind of zonal marking, and it was just, we couldn't do anything. It was brutal. Um, we ended up. Losing two to one, so scoreline didn't sound bad, but when our possession's thirty percent and theirs is seventy, you know, you start to see some of the the bigger picture. How long would you say you've been a Loons fan at this point? This is my third season. I believe. Third season of like really being into the team. Yep. yep. Do you have you noticed a shift in both the fan base and the stadium experience over those three years? Or it's hard to tell. It's always been that level of excitement or that level of fandom around the city. No, I think it's growing. Um, yeah, fandom is growing. People, More people that I talk to say they've been to the stadium at least once to check out a game. Um, yeah, big fans, big base. There's a lot of energy uh, around the team, which is awesome. I would say, though, that the stadium experience in terms of like beverages and food and stuff <laughs> is getting wild for the pricing. It's just, it's just so expensive, and I think everyone, I think I'm just – an echo chamber across the country. It's just so expensive. So got to fix that. Just can't, why is it like that? But you know, that's just part of it right now, but no, it's, it's a blast. Everyone has a good time. Next game day, you basically got to eat your own loons outside of the stadium and then go. So you're not trying to eat loons while you're there. Cause they're like 40 bucks. I always walk through the security line with a, a little lunchbox. Like, <laughs> what is that, sir? Well, I, I'm making the peanut butter and jelly sandwich because I don't want to pay a hundred dollars for a Cubano. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> it's a really good Cubano, though. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Really good. It's got Loon in it. Well, we've got a, uh, a game against Austin today at 6.30 for MNUFC. Hopefully, we'll get the dub. Um, standings, we're outside the playoffs. We're in ninth. Oh, shoot. We're actually behind Austin. <laughs> so, hopefully, we can uh, leapfrog over them. But uh, what about you guys? How, how's Chicago doing? Chicago's looking pretty. Chicago's, uh, it's early. It's very early, and anything could happen. Um, but from what I've seen, which is mainly just good things because I block out the bad things. That's what my therapist said I should do was, um, uh, is, 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 uh, wow. Uh, is the fire have a very talented young goalie? Uh, his name's Gaga Solina or Solina or something like that. Who's like 17 and he's just, he's, I mean, he's going to be a big deal. And, uh, and then they have another guy, Brian Gutierrez, midfielder, who's been hitting some nice long balls, some very insightful passes that the team's excited about. So um, I think the team is currently sitting sitting like fifth or sixth place, which is solid. I've, it's much better than we've been the past, what feels like two decades. So it's um, I think we're looking good. 
the one the one tough part we were looking at the standings yesterday while we were watching a couple MLS games. Five played six games, five goals scored, two goals against. So the game day experience, you're you're there to just enjoy. You're not there to see any goals scored by either side. Yep. But uh, <laughs> hey, they're getting points. They're happy with it. It's not about the fan experience. We're just saying. We just want the dubs. Um, and then around the horn, how's how are you feeling about uh, NYCFC? NYCFC, I really haven't followed them enough after they took home the MLS Cup. I don't know if we've even talked about the banner on this pod. Have you seen the championship banner that went up in Yankee Stadium? I did see a, a picture of it, yes. It's, I'm it's, actually amazed you saw it because it's hard to see. <laughs> it's embarrassing. What are they doing? That's oh tough. My God. I get it's not their stadium, but that's tough. They literally were like, fuck, we need to put something up. And they laminated <laughs> some. Seriously. They printed out. Yeah. They like found a picture online and printed it really quick. <laughs> and they stapled it to the side of the fucking like third rafters in the back right yeah. field corner. Yeah. I'm waiting for uh, who's a lefty, uh, Anthony Rizzo to hit like an upper decker third third story third floor home run, and then be like the camera flash by and be like, oh, what a shot from Anthony Rizzo! Congrats to NYCFC once again because it'll just fly by in the top <laughs> corner of the stadium, or it like rips a hole through the yeah, <laughs> yeah, through, through the, the banner. banner down. <laughs> yeah, no, for listeners, you guys should check it out. It's um. I mean, even the revealing ceremony was just so <laughs> lackluster. So I mean, it's sad. like, I mean, seriously, it's it's smaller than this pillow next to me of a of a banner, and there's like <laughs> some rando, whoever, maybe the owner, just like pulls off the the uh, covering, and it's like, here's this super small banner in this massive stadium. <laughs> No one can see it. Oh, and I, it's not representative of the direction of MLS, the growth of MLS. Like you were saying, I see the fan base has gotten more intense. I'm, I bet the fan base for NYCFC has grown considerably. Plus, you have these teams like Charlotte FC, their first season in the league, and they're getting 70,000 at their home opener, even if it's not at a soccer-specific stadium, but so many fans, which is great to see. So we need to – Jones and I were watching the El Trafico last night, Galaxy, uh, LAF, LA – Yeah, LAFC. LAFC. It sounded like I was missing a letter. Um, and that was a pretty exciting back and forth game. Like the excitement levels there for MLS, the games are getting broadcast more and more. That was on Fox, which was great. And it seems like they're, they're pulling it together and hopefully bringing in new fans to support new clubs. Soccer specific stadiums, man. That's where it's at. It's exciting that Atlanta United and Charlotte, of course, can, can do those things. But, but like for, for the other fan bases out there, give me that, Soccer specific stadium in the city of Chicago in a lo- local community like Wrigley Field is make it 20, 20 K, 25 K doesn't need to be massive. Even 10 K. Yeah, I mean, fill it every game. Oh, boys, I want you to come to the stadium. They built, you know, down the road for MNUFC. It's it's great. Seriously, they I can't think of many bad things that it's in the city. You know, it's just in St. Paul. The, the neighborhood that it got built up in was kind of downtrodden. Things are being built there now. You know, it's like right off the light rail. They've got apartments now. The bars nearby are getting business. You know, it's it's all good, man. It's all good. And it's a soccer-specific stadium. There's no bad seat. Uh, I stand by that. You'll always have good view and you feel close to the game. This guy works. This guy's pitching it. I think I'm already there. Whoa. <laughs> Mentally. Loons are up on life. John, just flash forward to the game. <laughs> well, I tell you, you guys are in... Uh, you know, down for a little road trip in May. I got I got some games. Galaxy and 
some other team you should come <laughs> it's good games you picked all the the tough teams tough matchups i think it's actually ny nycfc dude galaxy nice. and nycfc reigning champs i heard they yeah. bring their banner on the road though so you got to get there early to make sure there's enough <laughs> seats left to actually be able to still take your seat that banner's taking up half a seat, man. I don't know if I can make it. Yeah, banner. I don't know. I've heard people been calling it a TIFO. So, you know, on the road, it's a TIFO. At home, it's a banner. It's a TIFO of a napkin. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, take it easy. Hope you're, hope you're doing all right. And we'll see you next week. Au revoir. See you later.